Welcome to Temporary Experts, the show where two professional science communicators investigate relevant science stories from the everyday, research the heck out of it, and discuss their findings with you. Howdy there, folks. She's Sarah Bannister. And he's Davis Leong, and together we're your Temporary temporary Experts. experts. This week's topic is... Volcanoes, because they're in the news. (laughs) (laughs) But first, (laughs) uh, we have some updates from previous stories. Davis, in the last podcast, I asked you if a earthquake is formed deeper or shallower, what's the difference? What's stronger? That's and, right. And, and I was unprepared to answer your, <laughs> your probing question about earthquake science in our Earthquakes podcast. <laughs> but this week... <laughs> <laughs> but this week, this week, I came with ammunition in the fact machine. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, didn't want to say gun. Yeah, I was no, like, oh, was... we, we jumped to guns too quickly. Yeah. Like you, you said ammunition. I was like, where are you going with the this? The ammunition pitching machine. So I'm lobbing you curveballs of... <laughs> All right, this is this metaphor has already gone on too long. It's, it's falling apart. So, Davis, <laughs> what is stronger? Uh, so, <clears throat> in my intricate research on this topic, I discovered that the shallower earthquakes tend to be more dangerous as the waves don't have to travel as far through, like, the solid rock surface of the earth, uh, and they don't lose as much energy. So these things are the same way that, like, a sound wave, obviously, if you're further away, it's harder to hear because the wave is losing its energy as it propagates through this gas, and rock is obviously a lot denser than gas. So A little bit. But a deeper earthquake is typically felt further, and that makes a lot of sense if you think about the angle at which these waves are going to be kind of propagating from their source, the deeper you are in the earth, the further, you know, the hypotenuse can be. Right. Because you've got, you know, I I got asked at one point, like, it's like, oh, can you tutor my, like, grade nine kid in, like, math? I was like, oh, my God, I would have to relearn all the trigonometry. (laughs) (laughs) And just like, uh, I think I'm going to pass on this one. So that's why my hypotenuse is not up to snuff. That's okay. But yeah, so so that's that's what I discovered. Uh, I think I had assumed, I think I had st- um, I think I had hypothesized the opposite because I had sort of thought like, oh, if you're deeper in the earth, you're moving more material, yeah. it would cause more damage. And then even like over the week, I started to think about it before I researched it. Like, oh well, like would you hit more of like a cross section of a city if you were deeper and therefore cause more damage? And I guess like to a certain extent, yes, mm-hmm. but like not in the same way that like. Oh, if you're several, you know, dozen kilometers closer to the surface, you're like that much more strong Yeah. when you hit the city. So, yeah, that's, that's what I learned. There we go. And I believe you had an update on a fascinating engineering conundrum I, about, uh, about toilets flushing. I do. So another question I asked Davis to stump him uh, in our last podcast was, does the water in toilets spin backwards or the opposite way in Australia compared to in the Northern Hemisphere? Um, based on the Coriolis effect, which we talked about, that makes hurricanes spin, I believe, counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern. Uh, But the Coriolis effect, I learned, only impacts really, really, really big weather systems. So things like the Gulf Stream, the Jet Stream, trade winds, and hurricanes, like we talked about last week. Uh, And it can sometimes impact tornadoes, uh, which tend to spin uh, counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere. Uh, and opposite in the southern, but they've been do- observed doing the opposite in either place. And sometimes even within the same storm, you'll have tornadoes spinning opposite ways. So if even a tornado is not big enough, do you think 
a toilet bowl is big enough to be impacted by the Coriolis effect? I, I'm going to go with no. Although, I don't know what they're flushing down there in Australia. Is it like Florida where the gators come up through the through the toilets? I mean, there's a lot of dangerous things in, in Australia. <laughs> but I didn't find that they have uh, hurricane-sized <laughs> toilets. So, <laughs> no. Your first answer was correct. And... Uh, so Always I, go with your, your gut. Yeah. It's like the multiple choice question exactly. strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Always go with your first instinct. Yeah. So uh, in the a, a quote from Scientific American that I found about this was, despite the large amount of misinformation, toilets and even tornadoes are too small to be affected by the Coriolis, whose force would only begin to directly influence a storm's swirling mass if it were approximately three times larger than the supercell storm systems that typically generate tornadoes. And then a quote from Snopes that I really liked was, uh, the Coriolis effect produces a measurable influence over huge distances and long periods of time, neither of which applies to the typical terrestrial bathroom. So I think all this begs the question, though, where did this where did this sort of old wives' tale urban legend come from? That is not something I researched. I know. I, I knew it wasn't something <laughs> you'd research. It's just I'm sort of like, that's like the interesting then yeah. aspect of it. Because it is. It's so like pervasive. It, maybe it's just yeah. because like... I don't know, like at a certain time, it wasn't very common to have someone from like North America mm -hmm. live all the way down in Australia. I feel like it's more common now because the Commonwealth, but. Yeah. So it could have been like maybe one person heard about the Coriolis and how it may, like affects systems and they were like, maybe it's different down uh... there. Or someone was like, yeah, I totally went to Australia and it's different down there. Yeah. Totally. Everyone yeah. believe me. Because it's just, it's so pervasive. Like I think yeah. if you are up on the street and you asked a bunch of people about it, they would, I, whether or not they would like be like, oh yeah, of course it spins opposite. Like, but I think a lot of people would have heard about it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. There we you fulfilled go. our, our duty, duty to the listener. <laughs> we answered the questions that we stumped <laughs> ourselves with last week. Real updates. Yeah. So let's, uh, so last time we did talk about some sort of natural disasters and it sort of fell into our laps a little bit that like this topic sort of in the same vein of that topic, but uh, there was an eruption mm -hmm. uh, on a Spanish island. So it's the La Palma Island and it's actually located in the Canary Islands, the Spanish Canary mm -hmm. Islands, which are off the coast of Morocco, which is Northern Africa. So they're in the Atlantic. Uh, they, uh, so there was about a week long activity of some seismic activity preceding this eruption. It's this uh, island. There's um a small community that lives on the island. I think it's like, uh, there are about 5,000 people that were evacuated. I think the island has like 80,000 people that live oh, wow. on the whole island, something to that effect. And uh, yeah, they had this, they had their their volcano <laughs> near the city of Los Llanos de Aradane uh, erupted. And it's sort of, you can see, it's been quite the interesting story. There's been obviously lots of like drone footage and stuff yeah. like that from the island. And I watched this one of like, lava flow consuming like this hot tub or this oh. uh, swimming pool that someone had in the back of their house uh so it's really neat obviously because you see sort of the steam coming up and yeah. all the water being displaced by the rock and stuff like that so um obviously people's you know homes and and livelihoods are being destroyed and that's pretty tragic yeah. uh but it also sort of you know there's been a lot of these sort of types of geological events in the last little bit so it was sort of an interesting uh topic for us to look at Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully, there has been no reported loss of life. Yes, yes, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I think <laughs> volcanoes are a funny topic to me, for me because, like, the whole week we were preparing for this, I could only think of, like, um, like every, like, it's such a trope now. Like, every school project is a volcano. Yeah, yeah, there's always yeah, a volcano. There's always a volcano, baking soda vinegar volcano made out of, like, paper mache. Yeah. Uh, but you wanted to talk about your, you had a particular precipitating volcano moment. 
I in did. your education. I did. Well, not in my education. Mm. I don't think I watched this in... I might have watched this in school. I don't think so. Nah. I'm, anyway. Uh, well, I mean, talking about, like, making volcanoes for school project, I would always make volcanoes out of the mashed potatoes. And, like, you make your little, like, mountain of mashed potatoes, and you, like, hollow out the center, and you pour gravy in it. And then your gravy can flow over the sides of your mashed potato mm. mountain. But that's not what this was. That was just something I remembered right now. Uh, so my first <laughs> real memory of volcanoes that has stuck with me for my entire life. I don't know how old I was when I saw this movie. But pro- I feel like maybe 10, maybe younger. Dante's Peak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Dante's Peak. <laughs> yeah, with, with Pierce Brosnan. With, with Pierce Brosnan. And yeah. people are like, they've just been living. Yeah, they've been like, live, God, I haven't seen it in so long. But they're like living around a volcano, but it's been like inactive for a long time. And then all of a sudden, the scientists are like, it's going to erupt. And everyone's like, nah, you're, you're losing it. And then it does erupt. And everyone's like, oh, we should have listened. And there's this one scene. It's a very sad scene. They're in a boat and they've got to like get across the lake. But the lake is filling with like, the acids and it's super duper hot uh but at one point they like lose the oars or something or the engine dies and they can't get across and they're stranded and i think it's the grandmother jumps out and, like pushes the boat but like oh, her, her yes. life in the water yeah oh so, i remember that part yeah yeah so if i think about volcanoes Sorry. i don't remember how the movie ends i don't remember any of the plot except for the very beginning and then this one moment but every time i think about volcanoes i think about that <clears throat> one moment from media i seem to remember there's a helicopter in the climax. I think he's like flying in a helicopter. It's probably a helicopter. He's trying to like rescue someone or that something makes like sense. that. But yeah, I I, I didn't remember a lot of the plot points of that movie. It's like great. It came along in this like string of like, I think like late 80s, early 90s, like disa- like specific disaster movies. Yeah. Like, so there's one like that's like, uh, I can't remember the name. It's like Earthquake Los Angeles or something like that. It's about, or it might even just be Earthquake. There's obviously like Twister. Yeah, Twister. Twister is one that I never really... Some people really, like, it's got a little bit of cult status. I Twister's not really one for me that, like, I very much enjoyed. But... I saw it I saw it <clears throat> once. I remember I remember tiny pieces of it, but big disaster mm. stuff was really scary to me when I was a kid. So mostly if I think of Twister, I just think of, like, cow. Like, yeah, cow, Wizard of like Oz. That's cow. the, that's the like depth the of <laughs> disaster scene yeah. that you wanted to see as a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Dante's Peak yeah. is a great that's, great, great movie. That's it's what so I remember. Funny. Oh yeah, I couldn't remember the name. So uh, earlier today, when I was trying to remember, I searched Pierce Brosnan volcano, and it came up. And it came like, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Internet knew what I wanted. <laughs> How about you, Davis? Do you have any Dante's Peak in your past? So if I were to say, like, I doubt it was my first exposure to volcanoes, but I would say like my most sort of like crystallized childhood memory of volcanoes. Um, there's kind of two. The, the big one is like, so I used to have a lot of these like magic school bus computer games as oh. a kid. I'm big into the magic school bus. There's probably going to be a few references throughout this podcast. That's okay. But, magic so, school bus is amazing. Oh, exactly. It was, um, <laughs> yeah, I have a funny story about magic school bus. I'll tell it, save it for another time. But, uh, so I had all these like magic school bus games. Uh, one of them was like this geological one. And I was like, really big into rocks growing up as a kid uh, to the point so where like, cool. my my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you guys want to see my rock collection, which I did have. I still have it. It's not. Um, unfortunately, it's not very well curated right now. But uh, just imagine like a bunch of rocks in like a box. <laughs> they, they are. They're like in like plastic bags and stuff. like that. It's pretty bad. Um, they used to be like all on display and stuff. But like really. Actually, I should go. I should. I should, should. I should rebuild that display. Yeah, do it. A good thing for the office. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, the, where I got my rock collection is a funny story too. Is my grandmother used to work at Queen's University, and she would always like take a course there or whatever. And I think she managed to like buy this course kit. 
that was like a first or second year like geology course kit oh. and had like all these samples in it. and she used to like find samples and like you know bring samples to me like all the time just from like other sources That's that so she'd cute. find oh it was great I, I have quite the little rock collection I've, I actually okay. really should display it um it sounds so nerdy right now but um I I was really into this like particular magic school bus one and I really remember that like obviously volcanoes featured in it there's a lot of other geological stuff but one there was like a mini game like all these games have little like point and click Love games. games yeah and it was like a volcano was erupting and there would be like little streams of magma of lava because it's on the surface yeah yeah coming down the volcano and like would be like reaching the water and you had to like stop them oh. so it's like a game where you had to like click and like you were dousing them with like water or something <laughs> something unrealistic and like you had to like freeze them and it was really <laughs> difficult and like it was hard to do um and that was back in the day when the mouse was like had yeah. a little ball in it yeah, so it wasn't as, clunky yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as good as they are now but yeah so i really I, I like can i can imagine the screen like i can <laughs> see it in my mind's eye right now i could i'm, I'm doing the motions <laughs> he, he is doing the motions <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i do really remember that and then there's another one that i'll save for a little later in the podcast because it has to do with one of our one of the topics okay um yeah i figured okay. i figure that's a good place for it sure mm-hmm all right, moving on from our memories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> first 10 minutes of the show to some facts. This me. I feel like this is going to be a fact heavy episode. I feel like all of our episodes are fact heavy, but mm-hmm. here we go. So we figured we would start we would explore like what is a volcano? What is a volcano? Yeah. <laughs> They're made out of paper mache. Or, or mashed potatoes. Or mashed potatoes. There has to be a mash in there. But you wouldn't <laughs> fill your mashed potato volcano with baking soda and vinegar that would be gross and you'd ruin your mashed potatoes why would you i'm like actually upset mashed potatoes are already gross so how dare you <laughs> it's an argument for another time i'm just gonna slip that one in there and move past how... it really quickly uh, yeah i don't want to do this podcast anymore we just, we just lost 10 followers because <laughs> i because my my truth came out it's wrong okay. your truth is wrong anyway yes. so volcanoes these... not actually made out of food no not not made of food not made of paper mache uh these real truths are the, the, real <laughs> the real truths, also known as facts. There are uh, 1,500 active volcanoes, approximately, uh, in the world right now. But those are just, like, the not underwater ones, because there are countless others on the ocean floor. There's so many underwater, we just don't see them, because they're very, very deep in the ocean. Uh, and a lot of them are all along the tectonic plate boundaries. We talked about the tectonic plates more in our earthquake section uh, of the last podcast. But again, the tectonic plates are giant chunks of earth floating around on the magma soup. Uh, And there are where they bump into each other or where they brush past each other. These are where earthquakes tend to form. And a lot of volcanoes are along these, um, the edges of the the tectonic plates as well, the boundaries with the, uh, the circumpacific belt that I mentioned, which runs along the Pacific ocean. This is also called the ring of fire because this belt contains 75% of the planet's volcanoes all along it. Mm-hmm. Also very famous uh, Johnny Cash song. Yes, it's in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't me- not mention it when mentioning the Ring of Fire. Uh, exactly. I think the Ring of Fire is probably one of those ones that a lot of people would like instinctually recognize. Like, it, mm-hmm. I think it's very iconic language. And I think yeah. a lot of us probably heard it mentioned when we were kids and learning about volcanoes. Because you teach kids about volcanoes because they're cool. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when I that popped up this time, I was like... Looking at it and being like, is this, like, which one of the plate boundaries is this? So I searched, like, circumpacific boundary, 
and it was like Ring of Fire. I was like, all right, I guess. Yep. <laughs> I guess this is this one. <laughs> um, and the reason that we have a lot of volcanoes occurring around here is the volcano is like rock plus magma. You know, the stuff all the crust, all the crust, crust is floating on. Um, and a volcano is an opening in the Earth's crust through which lava, volcanic ash, and gases escape. So there are three main forces involved in making a volcano, basically. So you have magmastatic pressure. This is the pressure of magma. Magma is the name for lava when it's underground. Lava is the name for magma when it's above ground. Very basic. Lava above ground, magma underground. Uh, magma magma like... has a G in it. G for ground. Oh. There's not one for lava. You just got to remember one and <laughs> remember the other one. falls in place. <laughs> um, I think there probably is some good little mnemonic device, but I think that's pretty good. G yeah, for G. G for underground. That's how stalagmite stalactite works. Yeah. yeah. If you have a good one for lava magma, a different one, tell us. Let us know on the socials. You can say, oh, lava A for air. Oh. He's, he's trying to snap. He's celebrating. Uh, so we have magma underground. And you think of magma as like liquid rock. Very, very hot rock. Uh, and so magmastatic pressure is the pressure of magma pushing up against the crust. So magmastatic pressure underground pushing up. And then we're both <laughs> we're both motioning up right now. Uh, and then the uh, the second force is lithostatic pressure. This is the weight of the Earth's crust pushing down. So, magmastatic pressure pushing up, lithostatic pressure pushing down. Do the motions with us. <laughs> you know we are talking with our hands. <laughs> and then the third force is the rock strength of the Earth's crust. So the actual strength of the crust itself, and this strains between the battle between lithostatic and magmastatic pressures. So it's always being under force, basically, from... From the air and from the ground. And in magma, there are uh, a lot of volcanic eruptions are partially driven by pressure from dissolved gas in magmas. And the dissolved gas acts much as escaping gases force the cork out of a bottle of champagne. So magma, like I said, basically super hot liquid rocks. And so stuff dissolves in it. You know, stuff dissolves in hot stuff if it like gets to a certain temperature. Uh, we can, like, melt other rocks and whatnot. You can even think about, <clears throat> like, water itself yeah. has all these things dissolved in it. Water's still yeah. another liquid. So you're just superheating rock until it's going to behave that same way. And, it's, yeah, it, certain things can dissolve in it. And you're going to get really interesting things because it's so hot. So now things that are normally crystalline at room temperature are going to move like a liquid. Mm. Exactly. Also, a good comparison sometimes for magma is, um, like, molten glass. Uh, especially when we'll talk about like rocks later, but, uh, when you think if you've ever seen any, you do like glass blowing, it has this like fluid property yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. If you watch blown away on Netflix. Mm -hmm. oh, I started <laughs> watching a new one just like this past week about, um, like their metal shop oh, workers. I want to watch that one. With, like welding and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, so, back to magma. No, no, it's good. <laughs> We're getting distracted by reality <laughs> shows. Uh, so yeah, so stuff dissolves in the magma cause it's super, 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 super duper hot. Um, but if the magma reaches high enough concentrations, because you have a lot of stuff dissolving in it, and you will reach a point where, like, no more stuff can dissolve because there's too much stuff dissolved in Your it. saturation point. Exactly. Thank you, Davis. Um, so if it reaches high enough concentration, the stuff dissolved in it can form high-pressure gas bubbles. And two of the most common for this would be water, your H2O, and sulfur. And so bubbles are formed mainly two ways. 
you have if there is magma from deeper underground starting to move upwards, it sometimes brings additional gassy compounds up with it. Uh, or as magma begins to cool, because if it gets like, closer to the surface, it can start to cool. Uh, some of the melted minerals it contains will solidify into crystals. Like Davis mentioned, you can have crystals that will be dissolved in the magma because it's super hot. But if the magma gets less hot, less super hot, then these things can start to uh, crystallize. But this does not happen with most of the dissolved gases. So now you basically have less magma because you have some of the stuff that's dissolved in it is gone, which means there's like a higher concentration of gases in the magma. So yeah, so the gases, when the other stuff starts to crystallize out, now for the amount of stuff that you have, you have more gas bubbles comparatively. Like as your crystals crash out. Yeah. Sorry, crash out is something like we used to say in chemistry when you have is that something a real in a term? Uh, like, like a, a colloquialism, oh, okay. I would say. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I guess like it, it's one of those colloquialisms that like is the law, like it, you would use it in a lab oh, okay. and people would know what you meant if you said it to a chemist and you're like, oh, I've got this solution. I want these crystals to crash out. Yeah. But like you might not read it in a paper. No, probably not that way. You would probably just use precipitate. But yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes you say crash out because like you're specifically describing like, oh, I introduced a nucleation site and all of a sudden I found oh. crystal. Um, so it's sometimes a rapid process, but it's just a, I don't know, just one of those colloquialisms. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a couple different ways that these bubbles can form, but if you, you get more bubbles in your magma, they're very, very high pressure gas bubbles. And this is basically like shaking a can of soda. You shake mm. a can of soda and your bubbles get more agitated. Uh, and then the presence of these gases in the magma alone starts to build up the, it like builds up the pressure, right? And the presence of the gas lowers the magma's density because more gas means it's gonna be like less thick overall uh, and also increases the buoyant force pushing against the crust, which makes sense. Cause if you have more air underneath, it's gonna like push up more than your water will. Cause your gases wanna take up more space than your liquid does. Not water, sorry, your magma. <laughs> you think about it the same way if you put like um, like if you have a tube of compressed air or whatever, and you put it at the bottom of a tank of water, yeah. you're going to get these bubbles that come up to the surface because the, the air is lighter than the water and it's yeah. moving, or, working its way up. Yeah. yeah, or if you have like one of the Culligan jugs of water. Yeah. And as you like yeah. get water mm -hmm. out and you have the like glub glubs of yeah. air <laughs> going to the top. Very scientific terms here today. Um, yeah, so you have these gas bubbles that are floating to the surface of the magma and they can explode with the pressure of a gunshot. So they're very high pressure mm -hmm. and millions of gas bubbles exploding kind of all at once can force ash up into the stratosphere. So this is how magmastatic pressure can change is with a, mostly changes in the uh, amount of the concentration of these gas bubbles mm -hmm. that are in there because it changes the pressure down there. So the magmastatic pressure, pressure of the magma will change with the gas dissolved in it. Uh, and then you can also... Uh, have an earthquake by affecting one of the other factors, right? Like it's not just the magma, we have our three forces. So the lithostatic pressure, the pressure of the, or the weight of the earth's crust pushing down can be changed based on things like landslides. Because what happens when a, we have a landslide? The earth moves away. It, the earth moves away, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't fully ready for that question to be thrown my way. <laughs> I know, I like, I like startling Davis with questions. <laughs> and he's like, she's just gonna talk. Uh, no. Um, yeah, so landslides will dramatically change the amount of rocks or earth above a magma chamber, mm. uh, which will lower the lithostatic pressure and can trigger an eruption, right? So if you imagine you have two arrows of the same size, one pushing down, that's lithostatic pressure, and one pushing up, that's magmastatic pressure, 
if you have a landslide and a bunch of earth moves, your arrow pushing down is going to get a lot smaller, which means that arrow underneath is like, and can explode. It's a force diagram. It's also important, like, like, so you think about it, you can use it for other things too. Like it's used in physics. It's like, that's how a plane flies, how a boat is buoyant. You have the buoyancy force going up and then the weight of the boat going down and they have to balance each other up for the boat to float. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this, uh, this can happen like immediately with something like a landslide. And a landslide actually caused the Mount St. Helens eruption in 1980. It's a pretty big one. Uh, But it can also happen, this unloading it's called, uh, when you have a bunch of earth unloaded from an area, basically. It can also happen over longer periods of time due to erosion, right? Because you're going to have the same end effect. It's just going to take a much longer time to occur. Uh, Or from things like melting glaciers. Mm -hmm. And there's actually scientists who are currently worried about if the glaciers melt too much, is it going to mess with the lithostatic pressure and allow uh, the magmastatic pressure and the magmastatic force to to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, well, Iceland is obviously one of the more volcanic places on the yeah. earth as well because it's in between two tectonic plates. Uh, and they talk a lot about the glaciers melting there and if it'll affect some of the, the volcanoes in Iceland we'll talk about a bit later. Uh, they also think, have been saying that about Greenland oh. and that Greenland has a lot, I think so, I have to double check this, but that there's a lot of like active volcanoes near, underneath the glacier on Greenland, which is mostly ice, permafrost, and a lot of that is is disappearing now. <clears throat> fun uh and then the final uh kind of uh factor right we've got the the strength of the earth's crust itself and so the rock strength can fail and there's uh, a couple ways so we have again the tectonic activity so the plates moving around uh if you have earthquakes they can create fissures which is like like a a channel or a crack that magma can escape up through by, by these plates bumping against each other or rubbing against each other. Uh, or when plates start moving apart from each other, you can have the earth kind of on top, the crust gets stretched thinner mm. when they start moving apart. And then that also decreases the rock strength and magma can burst through. Uh, but another way that I didn't know, but is really interesting. So acidic gases and heat from the magma itself, because you have like a magma chamber and then above it is the earth crust is a bunch of rock. Uh, the, as- the acidic gases and heat from the magma can corrode the rock above it through hydrothermal alteration, which is a really fancy way of saying it can turn hard stone into soft clay. Hmm. And then that soft clay will start basically like melt- like melting down into the magma and that lowers or uh, reduces the integrity of your crust. Oh, that's pretty interesting actually, yeah. Because you don't normally think about... Um, the erosive property of of magma in that way. Yeah. yeah. And like all of those gases getting trapped and dissolving rock and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it'd be like if you had a bunch of really, really hot water underneath ice. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you can see that too in places where there's like uh, uh, hot springs and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. 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 So there we go. That's your, your basic what is a volcano mm-hmm. and why is volcano. Uh, and then that brings us to magma <laughs> which i always think of dr evil in his uh lair inside the volcano <laughs> i guess another volcano reference uh and so how the magma behaves when it reaches the surface so when it becomes lava <laughs> you're ready for that one <laughs> there was a moment of panic in davis's eyes and he was like so no I, I know this <laughs> i'm gonna get this right i've got a split second to react i'm on the ball exactly uh so how the lava behaves on the surface depends on both its gas content and its chemical composition. Uh, so the gas content we mentioned a lot before with the pressure and the bubbles and the whatnot, uh, and then the 
chemical composition. So primarily the silica content. So lavas with low- Silica is like sand. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. SiO2. So you got that silicon there. You got those oxygens there. It's kind of got a similar shape to water. It's very, very close to water. It's oh. kind of one of its interesting, it gives us some interesting properties. Is this why they think silica could be that, a yeah. of life on other planets? Uh, they, yeah, that like comes up in science fiction yeah. that like where carbon-based life forms, carbon forms this tetrahedral shape. It's really important to a lot of like biological yeah. structures and just like the way that biological chemistry, organic chemistry really yeah. works. Uh, there's some belief that silicon could be the same. Uh, it's a hexagon, right? Or... Uh, well, silicon as well has four valence electrons, oh, okay, and it's okay. in the same row oh, on the periodic table. So the, same the... column. Uh, yeah, sorry, the <laughs> same column. So I was trying to remember that's a group. Yeah. So columns are groups, and groups tend to have similar behaviors. It's like the alkali metals all have that crazy reaction with water, right? Like you yeah. put pure sodium in water, it explodes. Or all uh, of the uh, the. The, um, the halogens. The halogens or the noble gases. The noble gas. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So, um, and silicon just is, it has those four valence electrons, but it doesn't form in the same tetrahedral shape. It's a different geometry slightly. Okay. So it's not as flexible. Uh, and it's actually one of the reasons why silicon is so useful for computers is oh. because it's this very predictable crystal structure that's fairly easy to grow. And then you can do all these different things with it. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, we'll have to talk about like lithography <laughs> at some point in terms of like computing science because it's super interesting. It's basically how motherboards are printed, uh, and it's I would like love a, to learn about quite that. an interesting process. But for <laughs> well, not, not really, for right now. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with volcanoes other than silica. You know, a key component to making. Well, not really, because silicone would be the pure, right. is like the yeah. pure metal crystal. But yeah, but silica is glass essentially. Cool and sand. Uh, and silica has a very strong impact on what the lava is going to do. So if it has, if the lava has a low silica content, uh, then it will have a low viscosity. So it'll be thinner, it'll be runnier uh, and flowing freely, which allows gas bubbles to escape readily. While lavas with high silica contents are more viscous, which means they're thicker. So you can think like low viscosity would be something like water, high viscosity would be something like honey, you know? Uh, and that also means that trapped gases cannot escape gradually. They're kind of stuck in there. So I found a great little diagram on the uh, Canadian can, uh, a Canadian volcano page, which was the Canadian government page. And so if it has uh, more, so the low viscosity ones that have low amounts of silica, uh, this means that there's, there's two ways this can go. If they're low silica and lots and lots of gas in there, then they will create what are called fire fountains. So again, we have uh, low viscosity, so it's thinner, runnier lava. <laughs> and this, so, and it spews out, it kind of like spews it up Sorry, into the less air. viscosity, right? Yes. Yeah. Did I say that? You said more viscosity oh. is thinner, but it's less not viscosity. True. Less viscosity yeah. is thinner. This yes. is one of those <laughs> super confusing ones. Like the okay. viscosity thing has always messed me up. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But it, if we think about like, mm -hmm. if you had honey and you like tried to like spurt it out of a bottle, you might get like a, like a blip. And it would just kind of like blep over the edge, but stay like relatively together. But if you had a water bottle and you squished it really suddenly, you'd have like spray. water like shoot, yeah, spray. So if you, uh, with high gas in low silica, so low viscosity lava, you get fire fountains, which basically, uh, <laughs> the a quote I found that I liked was spewing spectacularly into the air and breaking into globs that solidify as they fall to the ground. And those are called cinders. 
Uh, so there you go like this. This produces volcanoes in a cinder cone shape. You can think of this, like imagine you just have a cone sitting on the ground. It's pretty blackened overall. And in the top, it will have like an open bowl shape. This is called a cinder cone. Uh, it's like the simplest type of volcano. So it'll have these like explosive eruptions that are throwing these cinders, this, this lava that cools suddenly um, into the air. And then that helps to build the cone itself and the crater that it that forms at the top of it. Uh, and then after, because again, it's low viscosity, which means the gases can escape really readily, which is why we have these explosions that are kind of shooting up. And then once most of the, the gases have escaped, these excess gases, then you start getting lava flows oozing over the edge mm, and down. Mm. Cinder cones are interesting. Some of them, uh, some of them that go dormant and then extinct, and they have the cinder along the side, like a road, the, the, the smokestack or whatever you want to call it, the column that would hold the magma will, will remain. And it'll sometimes create these like little mesas like that just sort of stick out of the ground. Cause the rest of the cinder is oh. made out of like, like less held together material. It's not as, it's not the same type of material that, that, um, rock right around where the magma would have been is, is a solid. So it erodes away over great periods of time. And then you get these like long, large standing structures. That's a so wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Super neat. Yeah. I will have to look that up. Um, but if you want to see one that's intact, uh, there's Eve Cone in BC. If you Google Eve Cone, British Columbia, it'll pop up and you'll be like, ah, oh, a cinder cone volcano. <laughs> uh, so that again, low viscosity, thin and runny with low silica because low viscosity has low silica. And then if it has high gas, we get fire fountains that produce cinder cones. It's lots of terms, but it's fun because it's exploding. Mm -hmm. I think cone is really yes, like cone. the key in cinder cone because yeah. that's like the shape. Yeah. That's the, I call like when you look at it from a distance, it's sort of, oh, that's this type of volcano. Exactly. Uh, and then if we, we stick with low viscosity, so still thin and runny with that low silica, uh, but if you have less gas in it, then you get lava flows, which makes sense. If you have all this gas and it's able to escape, it's going to explode, right? Pressure of a gunshot with these exploding bubbles. Uh, and if you have less gas, then it's going to be less dramatic about everything. And it's just going to kind of flow out in all directions. This forms gently sloping shield volcanoes because they look like a shield you put on the ground. So imagine a shield, you put it on the ground, uh, and then you have like basically a really low dome sort of idea. Uh, and this is what made the Hawaiian Islands. So if you think of Hawaii, here you go. <laughs> Here's your shield volcanoes. And some of the largest volcanoes in the world are shield volcanoes like the Hawaiian Islands, which is com composed of a linear, like linear chains of these volcanoes, including two of the most active volcanoes in the world. And the floor of the ocean is more than 15,000 feet deep at the base of these islands. And as, uh, I might mispronounce this, Mauna Loa, the largest of the shield volcanoes, which is also the world's largest active volcano in Hawaii, uh, this projects uh, 13,677 feet above sea level. And so its top is over 28,000 feet above the deep ocean floor. So real big shield volcanoes, again, formed by lava flows, which are thinner, runnier lava, because it has low silica, with less gas, which makes it less explosive. I think there's some, um, I don't think there's any conclusive evidence yet, but I think there's some belief that like Olympus Mons on Mars, which is like the largest mountain in the uh, local system, the solar system or whatever, in the, in the solar system, um, is 
they believe it's like a shield volcano and that part of it would have been underwater at one point. Uh-huh. Now, you, to be corroborated, <laughs> but that I seem to, that seems to come to mind okay. as we're talking about, speaking about this. That is a big volcano. Mm-hmm. Don't ask Great. me what its measurements are. No. I don't have them ready. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to. I was going to just keep giving you facts about volcanoes. Facts. Yeah. I, like, I do like that we bring we bring space into like every single issue or episode, <laughs> but that's just going to happen. We've accepted it. Yeah. Uh, so then we're going to leave our low viscosity. We're leaving our runny lava and we're going to the thick lava, the like honey type lava. So this means it has more silica in it. There's more of the silica compound. So if we have high viscosity, thick lava, lots of silica with a lot of gas in it. So we got lots of gas bubbles. This uh, creates explosive eruptions that produce volcanic ash. So this is things like composite volcanoes, or you might have heard them called stratovolcanoes. This is your classic, classic volcano. Um, so it's the steep-sided symmetrical cones of large dimension, built of alternating layers of lava flows, volcanic ash, cinders, like we talked about, those like chunks of lava that cool, um, and other stuff. And these can rise as much as 8,000 feet above their bases. You can think of Mount Fuji. Mm. If I say Mount Fuji, you think of that classic shape of this mountain. Mount Fuji was a composite volcano or a stratovolcano, which I think is more fun to say. Uh, There's also Mount St. Helens in the States or Mount Garibaldi in BC. Uh, Mount Garibaldi, I I forgot it was in Canada, but did you ever have a game? Here's your tangent. Did you ever have a game called SSX Tricky? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. PlayStation snowboarding game. And like, I think it's like, let's a... get to rock around, to rock around, to rock, rock around. It's tricky. tricky. <laughs> they played that song when you would like get a do a bunch bar. of, yeah, yeah, do a bunch of moves. Together. Or knock someone over. Classic. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah oh God. <laughs> the memories. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you played, let us know. It was one of my favorite games. Yeah. Still That's why I'm a snowboarder today. Yeah. <laughs> it's Can't why do I... any of those moves. <laughs> That's why I thought I wanted to be a snowboarder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Mount Garibaldi features in that game. I think it's like the second mountain you can go after Snowdream in Japan. I seem to remember it had, like, it was really icy and it had like a big icy section to it. Like it was like went straight down. But anyway, we, we digress. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think you can really ski Mount Garibaldi. uh, It's, in, in SSX Tricky, you also have people doing the worm on the board. So it's not an accurate game. (laughs) (laughs) They just pick some, yeah, it's true. It's Mount Fuji, same thing. Uh, But yeah, so uh, these mountains are examples of stratovolcanoes classic lava shape or classic uh, volcano mountain type shape Mm -hmm. and these are actually strengthened by solidified lava within fissures that act basically as dikes and so they strengthen the the structure of these of these volcanoes Hmm. or mountains once they chill out Uh, (laughs) haha and then if we have again we're still in more viscous right so more viscous we're still at the honey type of lava but if we have less gas so high silica low gas content for this lava This stuff is just going to ooze slowly onto the surface, pretty much like honey, because it doesn't have anything to make it explosive, right? Mm -hmm. No high pressure gas bubbles that are just so excited to get out. Uh, And these ones tend to pile up as steep sided lava domes. So kind of like the shield volcanoes, but because the lava doesn't move as quickly, you're going to get more of a dome as opposed to the shield that I think kind of Mm. spreads out a little further. You get these domes they are a little more dome shaped. Yeah, there's not much more to say about the shape of them. Uh, But they're formed by relatively small, bulbous masses of lava, too viscous to flow any great distance. Uh, Consequently, on excursion, the lava uh, piles piles over and around its vent, and the dome grows largely by expansion from within. 
As it grows, its outer surface cools and hardens, and then shatters, spilling loose fragments down its side. Uh, you can see this a lot in the Andes in South America, and they sometimes occur on the sides of composite volcanoes, so the stratovolcanoes, the big ones, um, or within their craters. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you can find some photos of them. They look pretty cool. Some of them, at least, like, they are, like, it almost looks like a football shape on top of it, and yeah. it's, like, kind of coming out and, like, yeah, it's just, like, extruding all over the place and stuff like that. Which makes sense, right? Because the stratovolcanoes or the composite volcanoes, once all the gas, like, once the gas escapes, mm. you're left with basically the lava that makes lava domes. Yep. Right? Just your chill, chill lava. As chill as lava gets, I guess. As chill as lava gets. <laughs> so solid rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that takes us through some of the types of volcanoes. What, what is, a volcano is. What is volcano and why is volcano? But what? Davis, how is volcano? <laughs> how is volcano? How do you volcano? <laughs> well, Sarah, there are several types of volcanic eruptions. Oh. I'm going to talk about them now. Uh, so I... I discovered, so I found this list of, uh, so volcanoes, the eruption types, so you, like you were describing, like with the cinder cones and you've got that kind of uh, iconic, like that splash up pattern where it's like coming out of the rock and it's just these big arcing glowing rocks falling on the side of the mountain. You know, you've got your classic, you know, a composite volcano that really like explodes with all this energy Super aggressive. Um, or like the, you know, the Hawaiian volcanoes with the slow, um, the Exactly, it's coming up through these fissures and stuff like that. So, turns out that the, all these different eruption types are actually generally named after the type of volcano or the location of the volcano. Sorry, typically it's like the location or the name of the volcano that is the most sort of famous archetype of the explosion shape and energy and form. Okay. Uh, so it's quite interesting. So these names are very, they're all over the place. Um, <laughs> they're fantastic. I... If I had had more time, if I had thought about this before this morning, when we were set to record this, um, I realized that this, there is like within this somewhere, within this list, because it's a lot of like Ilian, Inian, Vian, like Ian oh, yeah. endings. There is a hundred percent either like one of those like frog on the bog type songs where it's like, and it's like. A frog um, on the bog and the... A frog on the log in the bottom of the sea. Yeah, exactly. Frog on the log in the bottom of the Or scene. some sort of, like, crazy, like... Yeah, you're just, like, you could list them all in some, like, rhyme. Like, we just, yeah. like, list them all. It's, like, Vulcanian, Vesuvian, Polunian. And so, <laughs> if I'd had more time, I would have written this song. If you want Davis to write it for the next episode in an update, <laughs> I, oh, tell us. Full tell us. Order. I will no, do no, my tell best. tell us and he'll have to do it. I'll do my best. <laughs> Kyle? <laughs> Scout? Dad? <laughs> but yeah, so I think there... So, anyway, so there's a song in this somewhere. I want to preface this section with this. So think about it. Think about it in your mind's eye. I'm, I'm and thinking, hopefully I'm imagining. And hopefully I will bring it to life. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> like banjo, country western accent because I can do like the country kind of draw really well. It's not what um, I expected. I expected like the Animaniacs when they're listing all the pl all the countries. The Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. This one I'm thinking about it a little bit because like with the banjo, you can do a roll so you can have a certain number. You can really emphasize like the number of syllables and that makes doing this like so you would always start slow mm -hmm. right? and then like and then that way you could even have it be like you could teach it to people start slow and then in the song speed up on them and make them sing it with you really fast ah. so that's why i see the banjo do you play you the can... banjo not very well oh. <laughs> <laughs> i can do like one roll but not i would it would take a lot of work to mm. put this all together um but i will well, do you, you've committed now i will do my best <laughs> um so Volcano, volcanic eruptions described by these characteristic types that are typically related to a particular name of a particular volcano. Right. Uh, a individual eruption can have one or many of these archetypes in like a characteristic pattern. So, uh, and often a lot of times our 
understanding of what type of eruptions will occur from what type of volcanoes is based on the record of how those volcanoes have erupted. That makes sense. So, yeah. we could see it above ground before we knew it was happening below ground. <laughs> and it's like the quality of the magma is going to stay fairly constant, right? We're yeah. talking about these big geological forces. So, you know, that's why there's not this huge concern that like, yes, there are, there are more energetic eruptions on Hawaii, say, um, on the island of Hawaii specifically. But there's probably not going to all of a sudden be this massive, like, earth-shattering, you know, pyroclastic flow and stuff, because it's not that type of volcano. Yeah. Uh, and it's not what the history supposes for this volcano mm -hmm. and its behavior. So I'll just go through this list like, super quick. Let's do it. Um, so there are Strombolian Ooh. volcanoes. Uh, they were, this sort of comes from a 1965 Aratsu volcano in Costa Rica. I don't know where Strombolian comes from, but this is this one where it's sending these like luminous arcs through the sky from the summit crater. So probably a little bit more like your cinder cone volcano. Yeah. Ooh, that's a fun game for this section. Let's just kind of try to pair them <laughs> Match them up. Yeah. Uh, so Volcanian, uh, which I think is probably just, I it didn't really say where it came from, but it's just the dense cloud of ash-laden gas that explodes from the crater and rises high above the peak. So it's your sort of, your cinematic volcano. Is the gas in the shape of uh, a Vulcan? The Vulcan salute? Well, or Spock? Well, that would be something. That would be. <laughs> I don't think volcanoes could do that quite. They're communicating with us. Should try harder. No. Um, we the, come in peace. <laughs> there's the Vesuvian. Yeah, volcanoes <laughs> operate only on logic, no emotion. Um, Vesuvian, uh, so obviously a lot of people know Mount Vesuvius, yeah. buried Pompeii. So this is one that's going to create great quantities of ash-laden gas that are violently discharged, and it's going to form that kind of cauliflower shape or like the mushroom cloud that we sometimes... I've never heard it called with. cauliflower shape. I think you get cauliflower more because like... With a mushroom cloud, you're more thinking of like a pinpoint explosion. Yeah, it's a single, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why you get this symmetrical shape. Yeah. Whereas that cauliflower, it's the, it's that column that, and the column starts to collapse and stuff yeah. like that. So and it's a more, it's a natural process, right? So those are never. Exactly. Nice. It's not as yeah. clean. Exactly. Okay. You're, it, and you're talking about way more explosive force even. That yeah. just can't be released as evenly. I wonder if you put a nuke inside a volcano. Would you just get a radioactive volcano like a radioactive hurricane? <laughs> so there's this movie, The Core, <laughs> where they like dig to the center of the earth and they detonate like a series of nuclear bombs around the core, the core of the earth to get the earth's core spinning again. <laughs> it's really, it's okay. that, okay, that is in that same vein of like, that's in like the early 2000s yeah. disaster movie I feel vein. like it was the like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, like Armageddon yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, so anyway, that's what that makes me think of bombs and volcanoes. But <laughs> um, so then you've got uh, Pelian or New Ardente. Uh, this is called a glowing cloud eruption. So these are actually super dangerous. So it's like, it's, I don't fully, like, I can't fully visualize this one. This is one that I really can't, like, it's hard for me to picture in my mind. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen, like, this type of volcano erupt, but okay. the idea is that these large quantity of fragments are thrown back and then they fall back and they form like a tongue-like glowing avalanche that can move like up to 160k per hour Whoa. Um, down the sides of mountains and are like super deadly. Um, but this is not like a pyroclastic flow. Like pyroclastic, on this list that I found, like pyroclastic flow, a specific reference to it comes up later. So it's not the same. Yeah, this if it's more of like the, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I think that this one actually may be um, somewhat characteristic of certain types of lava domes mm. where there's still a fair amount of like energetic release and it just releases. That's what came to mind when it, when I was reading it, but I'd have to try to like find, I should look for this specific volcano yeah. and see if there's any yeah. record. Is of, that like Mount Pili? 
Must be. Must be. Something yeah. like to that effect, yeah. Well, we have something to look at for next time. Yeah. Now, the <laughs> next one is is also would be one of the more difficult ones to fit into the song because it's the one that doesn't have a good consonant sound <laughs> on the third syllable, but Hawaiian eruptions. But I have a plan for this one. Okay. So, but I'm excited. These ones obviously are characteristic of the ones that we see on the island of Hawaii. Uh, and a lot of it is that they're eruptions along these forms or fissures uh, and the, the fractures that form in the surface, uh, the crust, and the lava spurts out of the fissure and feeds these lava streams down slope. So you kind of think of like, you see waves crashing against a dock and they always go like kind of straight up when they yeah. hit like a seawall or something like that. Sort of that same idea where you have it like, it almost look has that look to it and then it's flowing out and flowing down straight, down slope. It makes sense that those ones are more active because like the islands were created by these volcanic eruptions, mm -hmm. right? Like you have uh, magma that comes up, gets onto the surface and you have lava uh, and then it cools on top. And so it, and now it's rock. So now you have a mound of rock. And then you keep doing that enough and enough and enough, and you end up with mountains. Mm -hmm. Then you have the phreatic or steam blast volcanoes, oh. which sounds like some sort of like anime fight move. Steam uh, blast. This <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Some> Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The new steam type Pokemon. <laughs> um, so these are driven by ex like explosive expanding steam when magma comes in contact with cold groundwater Ooh. or surface water. Uh, and it's going to produce that big kind of big cloud of steam with all that ash as it's made so and then there is the plinian which these are the most powerful types of eruptions so this is the type that occurred at mount st helens and it can send ash and gas like tens of miles into the air and the ash fallout can affect like hundreds of miles downwind mm -hmm. uh, these are the ones where you typically are most associating those like pyroclastic flows so that's in dante's peak that's in like every volcano movie ever and there's that very 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 famous photo I don't know if you've ever seen it of the two Jeeps. So there's the lead Jeep. They are, I can't remember, I cannot remember where it happened, but it's this iconic photo of they are driving down like a straight road down from the volcano after it's erupted. Oh, goodness. And you can see the pyroclastic flow. You the can pyroclastic see... flow is just like the big magma come or the big lava like coming down it's like the so you think about all this ash getting thrown yeah. up into the yeah. air right and it it has weight it's you know the pumice and the rock and some of it's heavier than others but eventually this column is going to collapse like the force and the density of it is going to cause it to collapse on itself and the pyroclastic flow is essentially an avalanche of this collapsing column that all the ash and rock from the volcano like sliding down the slope so, of the mountain so not just the the lava flow over the edge of the volcano it's no. all, the, all the stuff that's already come out and it's very excited to be out exactly okay. and, it's, and, it, and you think about it, it has all this energy right because yeah. it's either falling from the sky and it still has all this propulsive energy and it's causing this big flow so you think about like snow is all these little crystals right yeah. and you get them all moving fast enough it's this, all this weight all this force and it's so dangerous same thing pyroclastic flow except you're thinking about like hundreds of degrees celsius and moving at you know hundreds of up to hundreds of kilometers an hour right. um but there's this famous photo where there's a lead jeep and they take a photo on uh, this the second jeep's a couple hundred meters back and then there's just this pyroclastic flow coming down the mountain towards them Goodness. Uh, so scary i think everyone survived i think like both vehicles were able to escape which is like quite rare and yeah. it's like not a situation you would ever be able to like no. they were very lucky um but yeah so it's like it's all these solidified lava pieces volcanic ash hot gases um, and it's anywhere between 270 degrees Celsius and it can just posit layers that are from like one to 200 meters deep of this material. 
Wait, like one meter to 200 meters? Anywhere, like, yeah, oh depending on how much material is in this pyroclastic flow, how far it can go, right? Like wow. certain mountains, it's going to be able to flow farther, yeah. have more momentum. But yeah, so these are, but these are the ones that comes up like every, every like depiction of volcanoes. This is yeah. sort of that classic, like the big gray cloud of what looks like smoke and debris coming towards people. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the most dramatic one, you know? Mm -hmm. Who knows who's going to make a movie about a lava dome? Oh, the volcano. Oh, well, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we know what, how to volcano. <laughs> wait, so we did what, why, how, who is volcano? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> who does volcano produce? <laughs> that is the, that's a, it's a segue. It's yeah. on the board. We didn't plan this, but we're in it now. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about because I, as I alluded to earlier, I'm a rock nerd. Davis is a nerd. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the rocks of volcanoes. So when you think of volcanic rock, what comes to mind, Sarah? Igneous rocks. Oh, you just took pulling from the <laughs> top of the list. I thought you were, okay. Um, well, I think of like shale. Okay. Stuff. All right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't, is shale? I don't know. I, don't, I think shale is like just a metamorphic rock. I don't. I don't know if shale is... Uh, I was not a rock guy. nerd. Yes. So Sarah was right in saying that igneous rock is the the umbrella term. So there's three main types of rock, right? There's okay. igneous rock, sedimentary rock, and then there's metamorphic rock. Yes. Sedimentary rock, you know, like the Grand Canyon formed by many years of sediment laying on top of each other. Um, the Badlands in Alberta have that, you know, metamorphic rock changed by heat and pressure deep within mm. the surface of the earth. Uh, igneous rock, those form formed by volcanoes. They have a whole category unto themselves. Uh, They're special. Yes. And I, I think it really hints to like how important volcanic activity is for like the the way the earth has evolved. Yeah, Both it's of, shaped yeah. the planet. Like yeah. not a, not just in terms of the physical form of the planet, which it absolutely has. Like we mentioned, Hawaii wouldn't exist without volcanoes. Mm -hmm. A lot of places wouldn't. But also the way that the ash and debris affects everything and, and it can like wipe out certain ecosystems and then you have your first colonizers in terms of your different plants and stuff. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. some certain regions that uh, their soil is very rich because they are they were sites where volcanoes have occurred historically. So there's all yeah. these extra minerals that get into the soil. Because yeah. like that, that. magma is containing all that stuff. Remember all that dissolved stuff and the really, really hot stuff. And some of that stuff forms rocks. 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 So <laughs> igneous rock, rock formed by magma, magma. They generally don't contain fossils, that right? Because they're you're going from molten to solid. And if it does like hit anything that might make a fossil, it's probably going to just melt it. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly, right? Like yeah. fossils are usually carbonaceous, so they're uh, it's not really the bone anymore, but it's like rock that's replaced the fossil. Mm -hmm. But if you melt it down, you've melted it down and it's yeah. gone. Um, <laughs> you you've seen the little tools they use to extract fossils. That's how delicate they are. Yeah. So. Um, they usually don't interact with acids. They don't contain any like obvious layers, unlike sedimentary rock or even certain metamorphic rocks. And they are particularly formed by lava flows. So uh, there's sort of three main types that we'll talk about. There's basalt, which is often formed by shield volcanoes, andesite, which is formed by cone volcanoes, and rhyolite, which generally forms like calderas, which is something that uh, we'll talk about a little bit later when we talk about super volcanoes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, and can also form cones depending on a, the amount of gas that the magma contains. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll start with basalt. 
That's how you say it. Basalt. Okay. That's how I've always it said it. It looks like basalt. I, but now, well, now I'm questioning myself. I've never said it out loud. You're the rock person. So. Well, and I do seem to remember like this. So basalt is one that sometimes comes up in orga- in, a, in inorganic chemistry oh. class. A lot of these will come up in inorganic that makes chemistry sense. class. They're rocks. Yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> and principally what these rock, you know, rock crystal structures, things like that. It's all these different minerals put together, you know, it together. And the way we analyze them is important to, you know, understanding the history of the earth. Uh, But basalt in particular is quite interesting because have you ever seen photos of places like the Giant's Causeway? In reviewing notes for the podcast, I was was like, I've definitely heard of this. But Mm. then, like, you mentioned the shape a little later in in our notes. And so I looked it up and I was like, whoa, that was volcanic? I was so... That was so cool mm-hmm. to discover. So if you've never seen anything like the Giant's Causeway, and I meant to pull up a few other examples, but um, the Giant's Causeway is this very famous area in, um, oh gosh, it's Scotland, right? Ireland? I think it's Scotland and Ireland. I think it's basically on either. Um, anyway, forgive me. The Scottish and the in, Irish people. In the UK. <laughs> oh, they fool. That was even the worst way to put it. Overall. The Scottish and the Irish do not like that. Right. Anyway, so uh, it, it's in Europe. <laughs> Just keep going, expanding. <laughs> but there, this type of structure is created like all over the world, um, anywhere that there's this type of volcanic activity. So basalt forms these iconic, like hex, generally they're hexagonal. That's why I was so shapes. excited and I had to look it up. Yeah. Hexagons are a really cool shape. You see a lot in nature. Yeah, yeah, and it is actually. Hexagons are a very important shape. They're space-filling shape, which means you can stack uh, infinite number of hexagons and there's no s- gaps in between the shapes, which is very important for certain aspects of chemistry and crystal structures and all these things. And think about bees. Yeah, and like even My like um, most of the like um, your amino acids contain yeah. a hexagon because of the way the carbon's going to bond. Sugars are a hexagonal shape; it's a little bit different because it's in three dimensions. Uh, but yeah, like hexagons are super important to nature, and basically this happens due to the crystallization process of the crystal. So basically, what happens is that the crystal structure of basalt, which is the actually the most common form of rock that's on the Earth's surface. Oh. And this is, so like Sarah was talking about with the shield volcanoes, right? It's high viscosity, so it moves very slow, and it doesn't have a lot of gases in it. I think it, no, that one did have a lot of gases. Let's double check. No, you're right. Yeah. So, no, they're low viscosity. But there's less, low gas. there's less silica is really what I was, like, that. so yeah, yeah. the big one for me is that there's less silica, and it's actually, there's a lot of iron and magnesium in these rocks. And that's what gives them this, like, dark, gray color mm. and they make they're made up of minerals like olivine augite and plagioclass um don't ask me specifically what those all are but like <laughs> you can kind of you can see examples of them yeah. um and iron makes sense because when you see like looking at the giant's <clears throat> causeway it's kind of rust colored mm-hmm. yeah. yeah exactly well it's even just yeah kind of that gray shape and whatnot right yeah. but there, there's a bit of that like orangey red undertone in it mm. and so what happens is like as the crystal as the magma flow cools in the vertical direction it has a lot of strength it's not very likely to crack but in the horizontal direction the way the crystal is forming it's more likely to cause these fractures and just you think about like a snowflake always is going to crystallize in that it each snowflake is unique but it's always based on the like a hexagonal shape yeah uh it's the same sort of thing it's the way the crystal forms it basically creates these angles where fractures are more likely to occur uh, so six becomes this very common one because it, you know it's probably one of the more energetically favorable ones to be to be in. Uh, but you can also see ones that are like three to twelve sides. Okay. Um, so that's why they form these like massive columns and they look almost like steps. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they're very, very iconic. So they call it columnar basalt. Columnar, you know, big column. Mm-hmm. It's formed by these thick lava flows. Then you've got uh, like rhyolites, which are like pumice stones. So this ah. is kind of one of those ones that is also very famous. Sometimes you might use a pumice stone to, you know. Um, Sand your feet. Exa- exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, just to get rid of dead skin. And it has that very iconic like almost sponge-like yeah. structure shape, right? Yeah. It's very cell. It's a cellular structure shape or whatever, right? Um, lots of lots of porous holes. Yeah, porous. Sorry, yeah. that's a better word. Cellular is a better word for basalt because it's mm-hmm. like a cellular network, all of these shapes held together versus, yeah. Pumice. It really does look like a sponge. Exactly. It really does look like a sponge, <laughs> right? Um, and basically what those holes are is the evidence of the bubbles of gas that were oh. trapped in the rock as it solidified. That makes sense. And then, you know, as erosion occurs and those gases are exposed to the air, obviously they escape and then you get these like iconic kind of Swiss cheese like holes. So would pumice be more formed from like a higher viscosity one? Because the gas can't escape as readily? So it has um, a much higher ratio of silica. So yeah. pumice can be formed even when there's lots of like explosive gases, right? So sometimes what's getting thrown up in those big columns of ash is pumice because oh, it's light okay. enough to be... Pumice, famously, some pumice will float right? because it's so right. porous and the rock is so much empty space in between it and the gases are trapped in it. It's buoyant. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes it is, it's formed even by like, it's more the fast moving, less viscous uh, lava okay. and then the higher gas content, which is more explosive. Very cool. Uh, and it's typically lower temperature too, so, so between 750 and 850 degrees Celsius. Not even trying. No. <laughs> uh, then you've got these, the andesites. Uh, so these are a little lighter colored than basalt. They contain less iron and more silica. Uh, and they're generally formed by hotter magma. So this is 800 to 1000 degrees Celsius. So this is, um, th- there weren't as many, this is not one that's as iconic a particular look. Mm. Um, it's just more like kind of generic black looking rock okay uh and then the one that i wanted to talk about which is a little bit different actually uh because i thought at first i thought oh andesite it must be obsidian must be an andesite but i looked it up and obsidian is actually uh it's volcanic glass so it is really molten rock that has cooled so rapidly the atoms are unable to rearrange themselves into a crystalline structure which is the same as the way the glass blowing process works right and even to the point so uh, obsidian is not actually chemically stable in the same way that glass isn't chemically stable. I think we've talked about this a few times where like old stained glass windows are thicker at the bottom. Yeah. Cause it's actually a liquid. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a super cooled liquid that's like suspended and obsidian is the same in that there are parts of obsidian that will crystallize faster than other parts. So as it gets older, it, some of them will, will re- be able to arrange themselves into a crystalline structure. And then you get, you know, this obsidian with all these different like, textures in it and stuff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it's called a mineraloid, this amorphous material. But there you go. So there's some types of volcanic rocks for all of you uh, rock jocks out there. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag rock jock. <laughs> Hashtag rock jock. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about, um, talked a lot about, you know, some... Di- <laughs> the, the who, what, when, where, how, why um, yeah. of volcanoes. Well, actually, now we are actually going to the how, I would say. The how? Did we, did we already do the how? I thought we did the how with the... We did the what, the... I what, where. What, what and why. Uh, yeah, where is what we haven't done. I guess, I guess so. Does it really... Does this yeah. lead into where? But... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is why we should come up with the metaphor, these metaphors before... Being like, blurting them out in the middle of the thing. Now we're stuck with them. 
But anyway, what's next, Davis? We've talked about rocks and mm-hmm. cool rocks. So I think I think the next thing to talk about a little bit is is uh, obviously there are some volcanoes that get a little bit more attention than others, and a lot of that has to do with I think in our memory the strength of volcanoes, right? So typically we're, we'll talk a little bit about some of these famous volcanoes, but I think where a volcano's fame really comes from is is the strength of the eruption that we um, some of them if it's big enough in the geological record. Uh, and then, yeah. but I think most of them is, it's things that are in like the historical record, mm-hmm. um, even before like, you know, mass media and that sort of publication. But the, those ones where, you know, we were recording history, daily events, very specifically, those are the ones that get a lot of attention. I think. Yeah. Well, it's like the hurricanes, right? Like we, yeah. we don't remember the cat two, three hurricanes. Exactly. We remember the cat five hurricanes. And then their name, names get retired. Exactly. Yeah. So the strength of volcanoes is measured using a volcanic explosivity index. This is from the U.S. Uh, Geological Survey, and uh, it's a numeric scale that is a relative scale of historic eruptions. That makes sense. Compare them to each other and, yeah. Exactly. And it typically involves the amount of ejected material and then the kind of the more qualitative observations, right? So if, it's, if a volcanic eruption is super explosive... Maybe even if it only leaves like a small amount of uh, material behind, it's going to be considered relatively larger than even a, even a much gentler eruption that is maybe going to leave a thicker lava flow. Yeah. Um, but it's just all these different, this different combination of uh, these these things. So it's an open-ended scale. Like how dramatic is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so zero is given for non-explosive eruptions, uh, defined as less than 10,000 cubed meters of tephra, so earth material, ejected. Uh. And an eight is the current sort of highest, uh, representing a megacolossal eruption that will eject between like one to 10 to the 12 meters cubes, 240 cubic miles Whoa. of tephra. Uh, Tephra's a, a cool word. It is a cool word. <laughs> And then, t- and typically as well, one of the more qualitative descriptions, or it'll have a column height over 20 kilometers. So I, I guess that is still qualitative, uh, yeah, it's, quantitative, it's but pretty dang tall. Mm-hmm. And much like the magnitude scale for earthquakes, it's a logarithmic scale. Oh, okay. So every interval is a tenfold increase in observed criteria. So, uh, yeah, it's just sort of one of these cool, you can find some cool, like, uh, images of it, uh, like it, it, the way it's visualized is really neat because it'll just sort of be like a big, it'll be like a dot on a big graph. So it'll be like mega colossal or big red <laughs> dot. And then like even Mount St. Helens is like, you know, smaller than some of these like super volcanic, volcanic eruptions. Yeah. I feel like if you went into studying volcanoes, there's, you might go into it because you'd expect it to be really exciting. And then you get there and you're like, oh, it's physics and math. <laughs> with a volcanic explosivity index. Do this page of uh, problems. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about some of these these volcanoes that might even that would be on this list. You know, so some of what? Okay, what's a volcano? If you had to name a volcanic eruption, what would jump to your mind first? Like that I remember, or that just like just that like you could think of, like. Uh, well, it would be because I didn't get very into rocks or geology or anything. It'd be the one from Iceland from 2010. Okay, so actually a more recent one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. I don't have a lot of historical record. That... <laughs> I know that there, there have been uh, volcanoes that have like really shaped the earth, like spewing out so much uh, mm-hmm. matter that it changes everything. Or the one um, 
People always talk about the one in Yellowstone. Yes, and we will get to the Yellowstone okay. uh, volcano. Didn't mean to jump the gun. No, no, that's okay. But the Iceland one is on our list too. And you're right. It's a good one to bring up because it is it is very recent. It was in 2010. So this is the Icelandic volcano, Yafala Jökull. It's got like nice. 20 letters. Um, yeah, I think that was a pretty <laughs> decent, decent pronunciation. pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, and it, if you remember, it disrupted like air travel across yeah. Europe. Yeah, I found a, uh, a source that was like, it was the biggest air travel disruption since 9-11. Because after 9-11, they, like, shut down all the flights. Yep. Uh, and I listened to that, and I was like, well, until uh, last year. <laughs> I think I think the <laughs> big difference, though, would be, like, an acute disruption yeah. versus a chronic disruption, right? Which is more what COVID was so COVID prolonged. Was yeah. yeah. But I do think, I and mean, even to the point where, like, because of the global response of COVID, it was sort of... It was a little bit slower rollout of that kind of full collapse of air yeah. travel. And you, you still had like some flights and stuff going. Whereas with this, you literally could not have flights going because there were huge clouds of ash that like at one point they covered like all of like all of the UK, I think, is mm-hmm. what the, the, uh, the report had said. And it closed hundreds of airports, canceled thousands of flights, uh, affected millions of passengers and cost hundreds of millions of dollars for airports. Yeah. Because it was this like giant cloud of ash floating around and then people are like mm-hmm. it's gonna get better and then it speed up more the or wind changed or something and it was like oh never mind <laughs> yeah and you can't really like you so you can fly a plane through clouds um and even to the point where like uh one of the things pilots have to learn how to do is fly only by instrument so yeah. at night or through clouds where you can't yeah. actually see where you're going so um so it's not the the obfuscation is not necessarily the only problem uh, from the ash cloud but because an ash cloud contains all of these like particles of earth yeah. and a lot of these charged particles yeah. it creates oh. like a very electrified environment and you're like it, flying through more of a thunderstorm it, that can happen you can get pyroclastic fla- uh, clouds where it is it's forming lightning from the from all of the ions that are in the air yeah. you can also have this effect with airplanes uh, that are flying through because airplanes are made of metal where uh, in just specific conditions it'll cause something called St. Elmo's fire where it's this like electrical current that transits across like the outs the exterior of an object like this and causes a glow or whatever what um and it (laughs) and it can damage like the electronics and like it can blow out engines and stuff like that so my goodness uh, there's a very famous um i used to watch this my brother big into flight and so we used to watch this show in the house a lot called mayday it was about like airline disasters and one of them was about a plane that flew through a volcano um, a volcano's ash cloud and had this happen to it basically where it you know so the this electrical storm essentially fried a bunch of like the components my god yeah. if you're in that that started happening you'd be like god is angry with us <laughs> well and that's why it gets the name saint elmo's fire because saint yeah. elmo's fire comes from there's like a religious antiquity thing i can't quite remember it off the top of my head so that's more the colloquial term for it i can't remember the scientific term so we're stuck with saint elmo's fire for, for right now but yeah um yeah. When I think of some particularly famous volcanoes, one that really comes to mind, uh, we already obviously talked about the Hawaiian ones. I think mm-hmm. that's a good one as well. Yeah. Uh, but the big one that comes to mind for me is Krakatoa. Mostly because, <laughs> you remember, you remember Spongebob? Obviously. And they do the, super, the superheroes episode where like Spongebob's the fastest and he's like, want to see me touch this rock? Want to see me do it again? No, I... Whenever you say super superheroes and uh, SpongeBob, I think of Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. So yeah, they like join like a <laughs> Justice League with Mer- Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. Um, Barnacle but Squidward Boy. becomes like 
Oh, I can't remember what his name is. It's like the Eruptor or something like okay. that. Because uh, he always gets so upset. And 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 every time he uses his powers and causes eruption, he goes, Krakatoa! And then, like, his, like, head explodes. Like, all this, like, he's, he's, like, wearing, like, a volcano hat. Uh. And it, like, explodes. It's it's hilarious. So that's not why I think of Krakatoa. I think of, every time I think of Krakatoa, I think of that. Right. But uh, Krakatoa is, um, sometimes it's referred to, like, the eruption that was heard across the world. Oh. Um, and it's, like, basically... It's basically considered like the largest sound that's ever been recorded or like in sort of recent history. It's the largest sound and it clocked in at 172 decibels, 100 miles from the source of the eruption. And 150 unprotected decibels can result in an eardrum rupture. Yeah. And it's the fort, like that's like a jet engine taking off. That's a a hundred kilometers away, you said? A hundred kilometers away. So there were people that suffered like permanent hearing loss that were anywhere close to the thing and yeah so 150 sorry is a jet taking off at 25 meters oh my god so 100 miles away and it was heard up to 3100 miles away 3100 miles away and it blew a sailor's eardrums at 64 kilometers away from the eruption and it was so in indonesia it was this huge volcano erupted uh and it's very famous in our collective memories because there's like there's even like photography of it and stuff like that uh but uh but because at that time the telegraph had been invented so news of this eruption traveled very quickly uh and krakatoa actually erupted with ten thousand times more strength than the hydrogen bomb get out of here hydrogen bombs you're nothing compared to nature exactly so so that's sort of the interesting thing too is you sort of say like well what if we were to detonate a nuke in a volcano <laughs> maybe like right. it's the same sort of thing with like well let's detonate a nuke at a hurricane. hurricane to stop it right it's like well the amount of energy release even in our greatest um in the sarbamba the greatest nuclear bomb exactly our greatest yeah. efforts to split the atom is still only like it's so paltry compared to these like yeah. these earth forces. The earth forces laugh at your nuclear mm-hmm. bombs. But surprisingly, Krakatoa is not the largest eruption in modern history. Oh. Uh, so this is it is in, in Indonesia as well, which is actually I think it's number two or one or two on the countries with the most active volcanoes. Must be Do- along the Ring of Fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so this is Tambora in 1815 in Indonesia erupted, and it was such it was it ejected so much material it altered the global climate for years after whoa particularly the year after 1816 was called the year of no summer uh in many places because there were so much um cloud material there was so much material that was ejected into the sky that it reduced the amount of solar solar radiation that was getting to earth because it was reflecting it and it was even observed so jefferson in the states observed these changes in weather over this year and has all these like records like because he was a he was a pretty diligent scientist um, he was a nerd too well and some of his uh less um uh what's the word save favorable uh historical uh, places yeah um to say the least about it <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah so he he never made the link directly toward to tambora but there's a lot of evidence that shows like it had this huge impact uh, all around the world it triggered multiple tsunamis a hundred thousand people on the island perished directly in the event uh and like around the island from the tsunamis a hundred thousand like if you remember indonesia is fairly densely populated even in 1815 but all the tsunamis and just the force of this eruption and then many many more people were potentially killed by the disease and famine that may have been caused 
by its eruption yeah. around the world. Yeah. Uh, and so the mountain used to stand at about 12,000 feet tall. That's an estimate from before the eruption. And it blew, apparently the eruption blew off the top third of the mountain. Wow. So thousands of feet of rock material just vaporized. And raining down. Mm -hmm. So it produced 175 cubic kilometers of volcanic debris. And <laughs> this could cover a major league baseball diamond. For whatever reason, the article used Fenway Park, which has like the weirdest dimensions of almost all of the ballparks. <laughs> so it's like, interesting choice. Maybe the writer was from Boston. But um, for the, for most intents and purposes, a ball diamond is the same playing surface. Okay. Could cover the major league baseball diamond playing service to a depth of 131 322,000 kilometers which would be enough <laughs> to circle the earth twice i i was gonna just say like 131,000 kilometers but i was like at this point might as well just state the entire distance yeah um and it is the largest release of sulfurous gases and ash from one source in recorded history so that's tambora in 1850 and the yeah. reason it's not as prominent in our minds as Krakatoa, which erupted in 1883, is because news of it didn't travel as fast. Well, didn't because, have that telegraph. Exactly. So it took a lot longer for news of this event to reach places like the States. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. And I, I don't want to jump the gun, but mm -hmm. wasn't one of the mass extinctions in our past caused by one of these super volcanoes we keep hinting at? I think... I think it was that it was caused by this extreme period of volcanic activity where a number of volcanoes all erupted within like a, like a, a set period of time and it did. But you're 100% right. There were these massive eruptions at one point in history. It might have been because of a meteor, right? Because if a meteor hit with enough force, it's going to affect the magma and maybe force it up, right? And I think that, that they said that too is like, like I think there's there is a historical extinction, one of the great five extinctions that before the asteroid that yeah. was caused a lot by volcanic activity. Yeah, yeah. And then after the asteroid impact that killed the dinosaurs off, part of what followed was a period of increased volcanic activity because they can kind of see that in the geological record, same sort of thing. But it also even just like a volcano, the force of the asteroid impact as well. That was one of the big things that affected the Earth was the debris that was yeah. thrown up into the air. And the blocking of the sun's rays. So now you have a cool, less sunny planet. Exactly. Which I know we talked about in one of the... I don't even remember which one, but when I went off about fungi and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how they could be changing and why humans aren't as affected by them, but uh, that's changing because the climate's getting warmer. Mm -hmm. okay. So, yes. So we talk about super volcanoes. Super! Volcanoes. So super volcanoes, it super volcano is kind of this like catchy term that's been given to volcanoes of a certain strength. Uh, and so I remember the first time I heard this term was because uh, there was this movie. It was like a Discovery Channel movie from back in the 2000s. And it was um, so it's called Super Volcano. And <laughs> it is like this really interesting like it's this dramatized um this dramatized it's this it, it's like a it's like a legit it's like a made for tv movie okay right you ever watch like one of those like really terrible like sci-fi movies like where it's like something like sharktopus versus crocosaurus or whatever right i have seen sharktopus so it's it's almost <laughs> like yeah exactly i actually have seen sharktopus as well it so, can come on land yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so it's sort of like the quality level of like one of these okay. movies and 
but basically it's like this made for tv movie about like a su- when the yellowstone caldera erupts oh, oh, no. and destroys the whole world like in a 2012 style disaster movie and it was, it was his favorite movie <laughs> no it's the day after tomorrow right, right, which sorry. doesn't really feature volcanoes it doesn't no it has it goes the other way <laughs> yeah exactly but uh it um so super volcano was a term that gained popularity to describe magnitude 8 eruptions uh, in the early t- in the 2000s okay. but I always remember this movie vol- uh, <laughs> Super Volcano and I'm pretty sure I own it because nice. we bought like a box you could buy these like box <laughs> sets of like of, we we have like ones like we have like the Shark Week box set and like other ones as well but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go look for it because like <laughs> I don't I highly doubt it holds up but like, I also <laughs> think it probably super holds up there's like a scene where they all die because like a bunch of people die because they're like breathing in the ass Oh, no. And it turns into, like, cement in their lungs. Oh, and Sounds very dramatic. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> so, um, obviously, there has not been a super volcano eruption. <laughs> Recently, yeah. Recently. Yeah, We're here, so, yeah. you know, you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I often forget that, like, there are, there are volcanoes in the Rocky Mountains because there's yeah. a handful of them. They're active, but they're like geo. They're like on a historical time scale, right? Geological time scale. So like yeah. in the last ten thousand years, they've erupted. Um, but the Yellowstone Caldera gets a lot of attention because you can go to Yellowstone Park and essentially it's this ring. You know, you it's un it's almost unidentifiable now, but it's this ring of mountain in a big that that is around like the old you know eruption point of this super volcano so this giant caldera is what it's called so you think of like a crown yeah mm-hmm. i've heard people be like yeah we in alberta are not far enough away yeah <laughs> that it, one. like if it went <laughs> so that's one of the things so this movie obviously is like it's it's like a you know it's pulling from science so it's yeah. trying to do this kind of dramatized presentation <laughs> and but like stay a little bit more true to like some of the things that would, might actually happen um and that was one of the things that they show like you know, this is how far this ash cloud is going to spread and how much of the world it's going to affect and how much, you know, the climate is going to change because of this event and stuff like that. So um, it's one of those ones people always like to talk about. Like, oh, we're overdue. You know, Yellowstone is overdue to erupt. <laughs> actually, no, wait. Yellowstone does erupt in 2012. I did actually see 2012. Yes. It was not as in my disaster. Woody Harrelson's character, he, he like lives in a Winnebago. He's like this crazy. Classic. Cons- yeah. He's Classic like a- <laughs> Woody Harrelson character. <laughs> he's like a crazy conspiracy theorist, like kind of all uh, like the guy in uh, Independence Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, like, the, the farmer dude or whatever that was probed. And so, anyway, so he, like, lives out there. And then the guy, like, visits him to, like, find out if what he's saying is true. And then as they're there, um, the Yellowstone Caldera erupts. <laughs> <laughs> and they drive away from it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's in the Winnebago. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. But now you know you can get away from a volcano in a Winnebago. Mm-hmm. A super volcano. But, can, <laughs> so, but can you? Can you predict a volcano? Can you see it coming, Sarah? Kind of, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They're uh, Mm. notoriously difficult to predict. Mm. Uh, In large part because um, to measure changes in magmatic pressure, the magma is so far underground and it's so hot anyway, it's just very hard to measure changes in that. Hmm. Like any reasonable change. Mm -hmm. Or significant change. That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. There are some like warning signs that are sometimes talked about for volcanoes. But sometimes they're like very shortly before it actually goes, right? Because you have this the fight between the three forces mm-hmm. and you may not always be able to tell exactly, like, if the rock and on top of the magma is turning into clay, you might not know that. Like, you may not be able to detect that. 
but science is getting better at it. Mm -hmm. Well, and even like sometimes you'll see, you'll have these things happen and then there will be no eruption later. Yeah. Right. So sometimes they are, they, they're, yeah, it, they're precursors to eruptions, but sometimes there's, there's no connection. Yeah. Um, or they just occur in areas where there is a lot of volcanic activity because there's a lot of seismic activity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But some of the, 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 um, warning signs of an imminent volcanic eruption are things like increased gas leaks. Uh, a bit of a bulge. So you can actually see still photos from before St. Helens where you can actually see the bulge start to form on the side of the mountain. Wow. Uh, and then it gets like released very yeah. quickly. Which makes sense because you have your liquid rock mm -hmm. uh, shooting or starting to push and beat the lithostatic force, right? Your mm -hmm. magmastatic force is winning. Uh, th sometimes there'll be many more smaller earthquakes as the magma flows up through the crust. It's yeah. going to cause more movement. Uh, so these are like very tiny earthquakes, but we have such sophisticated measurement uh, techniques now. Um, there is sometimes a change in the rate of seismicity when like magma stalls, uh, which means that something might be about to give way. Uh, this one, again, sort of like Mount St. Helens, is the big bump, a bulge on the side of a volcano. That indicates that you have magma very close to the surface. I like that little bit of a bulge and big bump are separate things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not just like you can have a bump of varying size. Mm -hmm. No, no. <laughs> and then uh, blowing off of steam. So these are more characteristic of steam eruptions that are heating up groundwater, where the magma starts to heat up groundwater and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of this... Uh, and oh, there was one other thing about detecting earthquakes that was that I thought was quite interesting was now something that they're using is called infrasound. So infrasound, like infrared light, is below. So we tend to have a very human-centric view of the universe. So a lot of our science stuff, it's the same thing why like um, a lot of animal biology, they yeah. share the same names as human biology, even though like the functions of certain limbs will be so different. Yeah. Um, like you still say like the forelimb or, the, you know, things like that. Um, is because it's just because like we first named those things in humans before yeah. we really started intricately studying them somewhere else. And we can only, we can only perceive what we can perceive, right? Until we develop instruments that are like, oh wow, the mantis shrimp actually sees all these other colors. And people are like, what are those colors? And they're like, I don't know. We can't detect them. Yeah. Well, like, what we I, how know. would I describe them to you? <laughs> yeah. They're beyond, mm -hmm. they're beyond our, uh, perception. Mm -hmm. right? So. So infrasound is like infrared. It's sound waves that are below the human range of hearing. Like infrared is below red on the visible spectrum, which is the the longest wavelength color that we can see. It's like the deepest color we can see. I don't really know how to describe deep color. Deep color. Um, but yeah, so maybe if you have synesthesia and you can hear sounds or wait. You always hear sounds. If you can hear colors <laughs> and smell sounds. <laughs> you hear sounds. No way. Yeah. Um, but infrasound is very useful because, uh, so the reason we can detect it all over the world is because we actually were using it to detect underground nuclear bombs tests uh -huh. after they were outlawed. Uh, so the UN has an international monitoring system and it just so happens to be very effective for detecting, uh, volcano eruptions. There's, there's so much science that's been like, how did we discover this? Well, we were trying to do something about with war. And then we were like, hey, look, science. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> that is um, a lot of human history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so with infrasound, you can detect up to 5,000 kilometers away, Ooh. whereas other signs may only propagate a few hundred to a thousand kilometers. Like even like the seismic activity, only a few hundred to a thousand kilometers. Uh, now there's some interest today. So question today, because like obviously we've had all these earthquakes in the last year or so. Uh, then there's been this volcanic eruption. So some people start to ask, is, like, is this a period of increased volcanic activity? Start to panic. 
It starts to panic. Um, you, you hear everything about like, oh, like earthquakes cause more volcanoes. And earthquakes can yes. in certain conditions, but it's still pretty rare. Well, yeah, because as you have, like, if your earthquake is moving around and it can create a fissure in your earth, and there, is, there does happen to be a magma chamber below that, especially a magma chamber of high magmastatic pressure, and all of a sudden it has, like, a, a an escape hatch to the surface, it might take it. But you have to have that magma chamber with high enough magmastatic pressure. Otherwise, it's just like a crevice that opens up and the magma's like, yo, all right. Mm-hmm. It's chilling. People even ask sometimes if it's like, does increased solar activity, like the sun has this 11-year cycle that it goes through where it's like there are more solar storms, like more solar activity storms and stuff like that, and then there's a, a period of less activity. Um, and people are like, right, do solar flares affect volcanoes? It's like, no, there's no causal. I don't, I don't think that there's would. No <laughs> ca- yeah, it doesn't really make sense. There's no causation there. Um, but yeah, the, the truth is, though, is that it seems as though there is increased activity but that is because of the ability to detect more of these events. Yeah. It's the same thing with sense. earthquakes. You know, earthquakes are happening all around the earth all the time. And we're only just getting better at detecting them in more remote areas. And volcanoes in particular, we live and are connected to more parts of the earth than we ever were before. Yeah. And now we can detect, you know, volcanoes that, and these small volcanic eruptions too, that people might not even live anywhere near enough to experience. Yeah. We are starting to be able to detect. Uh, So when you look at the records of volcanoes year over year, it's going to look like it's going up every year, but that's because our ability or, you know, over time, but that's because of our our ability to detect them is greater. Yeah. It's not that the percentage is higher per year. It's that we're just getting more data Mm -hmm. every year. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. There's like, there's so much stuff to talk about for volcanoes. I, I when I first started researching this, I was like, I, I originally I was like, oh man, I don't know if we're going to be able yeah, to do I this. Yeah, I was like, I don't know how much we have to say about volcanoes. It's hot rocks. I actually <laughs> went in the opposite where I was like, oh man, there's so much material. You talk about the rocks, you talk about the types of volcanoes, you talk about all this different stuff. And I think we, we did a, I think we did really well. There's even a few things that we didn't talk about. Yeah. But I'm just like, I, like, I, there was a ton of information. That was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's. There will be no test. Yeah, yeah test. I was going to say, I'll, I'll post the, the Google quiz or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Draw us a picture of your favorite volcano. <laughs> exactly. Or if you have mashed potatoes, you make a little volcano out of them. Or if you want to write the volcano song. <laughs> <laughs> but if not, yeah. tell us and Davis will have to write one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that takes us to the end of, of this week's topic. Yeah. Um, I don't, I have, again, once as usual, I have no idea what we'll talk about next. Yeah. We'll um, wait for something in the news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we were going to do an, we talked a little bit before about maybe doing an update for some baseball stuff just out of interest. Um, yeah. but the, basically as we're recording it right now, like the season's like four or five games away from being done. So I realized that by the time we published all, it'll all be said and done. So there'll be more <laughs> to say about it next time. Yeah. As I walked in, Davis was watching baseball. Yes. And he was like, it's a really important game. I was like, you have to turn that off. <laughs> we have to I was always going to turn it off, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll maybe touch on that. It won't really be a science thing, but, no, it'll, but just, it'll update. I'll either be very sad or very happy. Uh, <laughs> I will also be here. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, I'll have to listen to it. Um, anything that you want to talk about, promote? Yeah, uh, Third Sock from the Sun. I now have worksheets available for the entire plastic mm-hmm. series. So there are 12 separate worksheets available on my website, thirdsockfromthesun.com. So give them a checkout. Uh, they have, uh, it's a, they're each one page. They go along with the videos. And uh, it's not in the preview on the website, but if you buy them, you will also get an answer key mm. for them. And just went live uh, 
I'm not going to say a date because I don't know when we're going to post this. <laughs> Very recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so check out Third Sock. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Temporary Expert. Uh, you can send us feedback. You can let us know what topics you like to see covered. Uh, if you only have Instagram and you want to reach out, uh, reach out to uh, me and by proxy us at Third Sock from the Sun on Instagram. Actually, I am Third Sock FT Sun on mm. Instagram. Um, but find me, and I post whenever we release mm. there as well. So if you follow that Instagram, uh, then you will find out about temporary expert stuff and i am once again again gonna kick the temporary expert uh experts instagram down the can the can down the road once yeah. more road i will get to it the can. i promise <laughs> my promises <laughs> are worthless at this point. <laughs> just follow me i'll post about it <laughs> yeah uh all right well for all of us here at temporary experts she's sarah banister and he's davis leong and we've been your temporary, temporary experts. experts thanks for listening I'm not sure if I'm